Hello, and welcome to Living It Radio. I'm Kelly DiNardo, here with Amy Pierce Hayden. We are the authors of Living the Sutras, a guide to yoga wisdom beyond the mat. Through our book and this podcast, we aim to make the principles of yoga alive, active, accessible, and personal. On this podcast, we go deeper into the topics we address in the book by talking to compelling people who can help us live an inspired, connected, joyful life. Jen spent the first part of her life thinking she was a bad person because of something she told her father before he died when she was just eight. She moved in and out of depression and tried to control what happened in her life with her eating. At the same time, without letting anyone know, she was also losing her hearing. Through her yoga practice and writing, she began to face these challenges, redefine her own life, and explore what it means to be human. She shared her experience in a real and vulnerable way publicly on Facebook and in her online magazine, The Manifestation. She began teaching and leading retreats called On Being Human, and she has written a book also called On Being Human, in which she shares her own triumphantly messy story. In this conversation, we talk to Jen about how she learned to recognize and rewrite the bullshit stories we all tell ourselves, how she's constantly working to quiet her inner asshole, and how we can all let go of what no longer serves us so we can actually be where we want to be. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. We've been waiting a long time. I received your book, I think, months and months ago, one of the first books we got before our second season. So usually I read the book really close to the recording, but I've had this swimming around in my head for a couple months. So I'm Finally excited to talk to you today. Yes, very excited. Yay! So let's let's jump in because we have so much to cover today. Um, so we're going to just dive in with a hard question right off the bat. I would love for you to tell us when and how you started to accept some of the things in your life, your father's death, your eating disorder, your depression, your hearing loss, all of these challenges and things that you were struggling with? You know, it's a, that's such a great question. It's a day-to-day thing. I really, you know, one of the things I teach the most in my workshops and lectures and uh, that I realized as a human is that, that nothing is permanent, you know? So that's why I love the topic of this, um, Yama. Um, So, for example, if I feel like I've accepted my hearing loss and then I wake up the next day and all of a sudden I'm having all this resistance and feeling sorry for myself and that's so human. So it's like a day-to-day thing, right? I go, okay, well, today I've accepted it. I can't speak for tomorrow. It reminds me I'm not in, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it reminds me of of my friends that are, you know, it's, it's day by day. So, um... I think honestly, a lot of it was when I did yoga teacher training, and then I started on this path of this life I'm living now. This this sort of un- undefinable, indescribable workshop that I lead. The more I started teaching, the more I started wanting to walk the talk and be congruent, and therefore I realized I it wasn't serving me to hold on to resentment and feeling sorry for myself and pity, and you know. Various things. I, I wouldn't say though that I can that I that it's I fully let go. I still struggle. <laughs> when the, when you have a day that's harder, do you have a go to thing that you do? Is it or is it just about recognizing? Okay, I can see I'm going down this path where it's not good for me. How do you catch yourself? Yeah. Um, so it's such a good question too because I I think about this all the time. I. The best thing is when you recognize it. The problem is sometimes you don't recognize it, you know? So, for example, last week or a few days ago even, I was running on fumes. And I got so sick from exhaustion that I almost went to the hospital. And, you know, for anyone that's been following me on social media, you'll understand I've been going for the last four months. But the last, like, couple weeks have been truly superhero. Could only do what I pulled off with, you know, Italy on Saturday, Sunday, LA, Monday, Philadelphia, you know, just, uh, and I felt really depressed after the, 
this big workshop I did and really tired and vulnerable. And I, but I didn't realize that it was because I had let myself get so run down. It just felt really real. But sometimes I can catch it and go, oh, this is my inner asshole. And this is my old stuff coming up. So I will get quiet. I'll check in. I'll, I'll, I try to have two words or guiding principles for the day. So before I wake up, before I look at my phone, I think about that. This morning it was the words tenderness and trust. And I make sure, I do my best to make sure that my day is infused with those words and so I feel congruent, which is a big word for me right now. Um, I exercise, which I haven't done in like a month, and I notice a difference. Just for me, it's a huge part of my depression and anxiety and holding on to things. When I exercise, I get out of my head, you know? And I don't even just mean yoga. I mean just any old kind. I... I surround myself with people I'm really careful about who I surround myself with, people that remind me who I really am and that I'm gotten, you know, my I got you people. I love that quote you use in the book a lot. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I just got that tattoo, my first tattoo ever. I got you. Oh, I love it. That's great. Okay, you just mentioned the inner asshole. So what or who is that? Talk to us about that. You know, we all have one. Um... I did a workshop the other day with Elizabeth Gilbert, which was, you know, one of the best days of my life, truly, truly. And she calls it the inner critic, or I forget what she calls it. We all, you know, we all have it. We all kind of call it a different thing. Um, But the epiphany I had was, you know, I thought, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to quiet you for good. And I realized that doesn't happen. And so that's why I, you know, it's day to day, breath by breath. Um, and it's the voice that, you know, tells us we're not good enough. Um, it's the voice that tells us to wait. It's a voice that, you know, listens to, uh, what other people are thinking or saying, especially the ones that we perceive don't like us. And I, I think everyone has one. Everyone has a, you know, a, this judge inside of us. Um, and for me, it's about, it's there. I'm just not going to give it uh, stage time. I'm not going to let it be the boss of me. Outside of the spotlight, right? Yes. So, so how I'm, do you do that? Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, it's, it's again, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to start my day. Um, and I try and some days I forget some days I reach for my phone. First thing I wake up, but I try to start my day in silence or prayer and, exercise and be careful about who I'm surrounding myself with and, you know, do things to tap in on a daily basis to my creativity. I try to do things that make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, I work on the mantras I'm saying to myself, which, you know, or mind tattoos, as I like to call it, which, you know, for so long, my mantra was, I am a bad person. And, or I'm fat, you know, when I was like dying of anorexia, I'm fat or, you know, I'm worthless. You know, I had all these things that I said to myself on repeat that just shut me down. And with that, the inner asshole is running the show. And so you mentioned this idea about first identifying it, right? So first we have to notice that the inner asshole is running the show or we have to notice what kind of groove we're caught in. In yoga, we'd say that some scar that we're caught in. And figuring out what it is we have to step away from or let go of. And I I know you say this in your book, in your workshops a lot of the time, you ask the question to your participants, in order to be where you you want to be, what do you have to let go of? Mm -hmm. And so how do you you facilitate that in a workshop? How do you get somebody who's maybe never even understood they have an inner asshole or an inner critic, how do you get them to identify it and then be able to name what it is they have to let go of? And, And then I'm curious, part two, what... What has it been for you specifically that you've had to let go of? Mm, okay. So, you know, I made up this thing, which I see a lot of people are doing now, but I remember when I started doing it like a decade ago, it was yeah, so novel. It was like, let me have them bring their journals and write while they're moving their body, you know? I mean, it's, it's not like I can trademark that, but yeah, I started that. And um, I the idea was because I realized how open I got when I was doing yoga and how I'd like write poems in my head and how I felt um, I didn't body check as much and how I was um, softer and I thought, huh, there's something to this. So you know, my armor got softened when I was when I was in my body more and the way I got in my body more, so to speak, was by 
doing yoga, which I don't even do that much anymore, you know? Um, but so I thought, well, what if I had, you know, people, I get them hot and tired and sweaty so that their inhibitions are lower, so that their armor is softer or removed, so that they're not as in their cerebral minds, then ask them a question stop, drop, and write, and, you know, really make it clear that it's not about the writing, it's not about the yoga, it's kind of just like, I know it sounds gross, but like vomiting on the page, and I'm really good at creating a safe space for people, it's one of my rare gifts and qualities that I'm very confident with, and so I'm able to create this safe space, and people just write, and um, also because I share so much of my own stuff in in such a way that, you know, puts me on the same level. I'm not trying to be a guru or, or even a teacher, inadvertently, sure. So um, I don't know. I think part of it's magic, and I think part of it's just that I, that I use the body, and so they're not as on guard. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, we, I tell them stuff about me, and so people start to think, well, maybe I'm not so weird, and I'm not so special, and uh, maybe this is human. Um, you know, and I really, I, I always read this poem by Mary Oliver called When Death Comes, and the last line of the poem changed my life, and she says, I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. And Wayne Dyer used to say, don't die with your music still inside of you. And then I play the song The Rose by Bette Midler, where she talks about, you know, um, the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to love, the soul afraid of dying that never learns to live. And so I give them all these ideas and I, and I break it down in a really basic way. Like, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, oh my God, why was I afraid to let someone love me? Or, or why didn't I eat that bagel? You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like there's so many people that come to me with body stuff and eating disorders and, you know, so, so we just share in this really human way and in this environment, it feels safe and, and they're not so in the thinking mind and, they're, and they're, they've let themselves off the hook for having to sound good or be perfect. And I think the inner asshole probably keeps us each feeling like we're a lot different from others than we yep. really are. Yep. And we, we get to talk about that and we realize we're really a lot more same than we probably Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's why, you know, I have this sharing and it just works so remarkably. And and people are, you know, before the whole Me Too movement came out, that was a thing. I would go, right? You're nodding and you're going, Me too, me too. And we don't talk about these things a lot. It's not like, you know, we go out for coffee. I mean, yeah, sure, sometimes, but but not on the regular, not with strangers. And so we're so much more alike than we think. Um and then, you know, the, the real key for me were the words, now what? Because after years of doing my workshop and listening to people share about what they wanted to let go of, you know, and, and honestly, the top things are fear, uh, fear of failure, fear of what people think, feeling like I'm not good enough. I mean, all a variation of this kind of thing, of what others will think. I had this revelation, which was, there's something missing. And the missing part is the now what? Because if you're not living now what, asking now what, being now what, you just made a list. And fine, lists are great. I'm not a list maker. Wish I was. But what of it? You know, you just paid a lot of money to come to this wacky workshop and you made a list. So, and then you can't look at the whole list because we all have tons of things, most of us, that we say we want to let go of. It has to be one small actionable thing that I can do. And I, and I suggest making it a tiny, tiny little thing. And then it's manageable. Can you give an example of a, a really, let's say somebody says they're afraid of failure. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the time to do something where they actually might fail, right? To actually put themselves in the, is that what you would suggest? Putting well, them yeah, in? but also I like to also, then I go, well, what do you mean? What does that mean? I'm fascinated by this idea of failure. And then they go, well, and it's like, well, actually, that's not really what they're afraid of. It comes back to like what someone else is thinking. But so, for example, like if you were going to say that, what does that mean? Well, afraid of, and then I dig and I dig and I dig because as my beloved wifey, Lydia Yuknovich always says, what's underneath that? And so you keep, I keep digging and then it'll be, okay, so I, I'm afraid of failure with, with writing my book. Okay, well, have you thought about writing the book? Um, well, no, but I want to, but, but I want to, you know, Okay, so tonight, can you sit down 
and put everything down and write for 20 minutes at a timer. Yes, I can. Okay. There it is. There's one now what? So it's like these tiny things because I think sometimes we look all the way to the end and we're like, oh, how am I going to write the whole book? Or, or, you know, people, right, I want to I want to um, let go of my fear of falling in love or being alone or, and I go, well, okay, maybe I know what is going out and making eye contact today with three people. I love that you tie all of this to the physicality of in, in this case, in yoga, but you were talking about for you personally, it's doing some sort of exercise in the morning. So you've also said that our bodies carry our stories. So ex- explain what you mean by that. And, and, and let's dive into that, because I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, well, what I mean, you know, I can only speak for me is, is when my father died when I was eight, which was the most traumatic, you know, thing of my life. And the, I'd say that sort of defining incident or principle, greatest loss, that turned into my greatest gift. But nonetheless, what I did was um, I locked it in my body. And, 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 that's, and that's not even a metaphor. That's a very literal thing. I, I, I said, I don't, I said, I hate you. He died. I blamed myself. And I, and I said out loud, I don't care. And I clenched my jaw and I locked everything inside. I didn't cry. I locked it in. I have so many problems now because of that of clenching, my teeth fall out, I have all these, you know, migraines and um, this like physiological response I have to feeling, literally feeling things is to like clench and lock it in. Um, And so when I started doing yoga, specifically yoga, and it happened a couple times even before yoga in my life when I'd had a massage, I started crying and that terrified me. But like with yoga, things started to come up and I realized, oh, this, this is stuff. These are people that I have locked in my body, in my muscle, in my tissue, in my bones, you know, deep, deep, deep. Yes. Um, and, and we all, we all have that. I mean, that's, you know, I'm sure anyone who's ever done yoga, well, not, maybe not anyone, but many people have cried in a hip opener. How do you explain that? Well, I could, I totally believe that we, the theory that you're saying, I believe is, can't not be true. You know, in the traditional concept, we have these five layers of the self. We've got a physical aspect, a pranic aspect, an emotional, mental aspect, a intellectual, and then a spiritual aspect. Right. If we're all five of these bodies that yoga might call it, how can they not be affecting each other? It's impossible. It's absolutely, I mean, we even know through modern science that the nervous system is our number one point of health. And if our nervous system isn't in good shape, it's going to affect the body-mind connection Yeah, regardless, regardless. So we have, it has, that has to be a connection to what's going on in the pelvis and what's going on in the spine and what's going on in the neck and the shoulders. It's, it's inevitable that, yeah. Do you think, Jen, that they, that these stories ever serve us for the positive or that, do you think when we, when we carry our bodies, when our bodies carry our stories, is that inherently negative? No, no. I didn't, it it took me a minute because of my hearing to understand what you were saying, but no, 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 absolutely not. So I do, in fact, in a couple of days, I go yet again on an airplane. I'm going to Portland to lead my writing in the body workshop with Lydia Yoknovich and, um, everything she does is about the body, all her writing, you know, she believes the body has a point of view. And so we just work so seamlessly together and we, and we bounce off each other and feed off each other and interweave. But, you know, she'll, she'll say like, um, where in your, where does your rage live in your body? Where does your joy, where does your, and it's just so magical to see people write from these places. I absolutely don't think it's inherent, inherently negative. I mean, we're storytellers and this is how I think we survive in the world with storytelling and our bodies are the vehicles. Yes, our imagination, but absolutely not. I don't think it's inherently negative. I also personally struggle with the words negative and positive. I don't use them very often. Um, you know, so when I say to people and Lydia helped me with this, um, you know, choose a mantra that opens you up rather than shuts you down. I don't say choose a positive mantra. So I think of terms like, you know, what opens me up, my body, my mind, my imagination, or what shuts me down. That resonates for me. And positive and negative then immediately is going to 
get us to think of something as always being good or bad, that there's something we have to yes. talking yes. about aprigraha, something we have to run yes. after the good and avoid the bad, which doesn't get right. us anywhere. Okay, so so I'll reframe my next question then. So how do we recognize which stories that we're holding in our bodies, which ones serve us and which ones don't, or which ones open us up and which ones don't? How do we start to recognize that? Well, honestly, getting quiet and listening to your body. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I do in my workshop and with my coaching clients and I do with myself is I'll, and, and Lydia started this and I took it and like expanded, but you know, I'll say, put your hands on the place in your body where you feel you're the most in right now. And some people of course are like, what does that mean? So I'll say, you know, put your hands where you feel you're the most connected to or disconnected to, or where you're the most self-conscious of, or, you know, maybe your heart's broken, place your hands on your heart, or you've been clenching your jaw, or maybe you're in your head, put your hands in your head. Then I'll have them get quiet and really drop in and listen. And I'll give them a mantra to repeat, either whisper it or just move their lips to it, which is, I love you. They're speaking this to where their hands are in their body, on their body, and, and I'm listening. And then, for a few minutes, and then I'll, I'll have them write for three to five minutes from the point of view of that body part, and things come up. I want to say I think, but it's actually what I know. I know that when we deeply listen to our body, it's immediately evident what we need, what's serving us, what isn't. The issue becomes, how do we listen? How do we get quiet? And it's scary sometimes, you know? So um, I think our body will tell us. Yes. And and my friend Emily McDowell, which everyone should follow, is just wonderful. And um, she actually posted, she sent me a message this morning and I was looking at her Instagram and she had posted this meme Yesterday, I think, that said something like, if your mind doesn't know or your brain doesn't know, ask your body. And I was like, yep, yep, exactly. Well, this is one of my favorite bits of what we're, that was a perfect segue into my question because I absolutely love the subtitle of the book, which is a memoir of waking up, living real and listening hard. And I think there's this wonderful dual message that you're trying to uh, impart to the reader and also that you've had to work so hard in your life because you've had to listen so hard. How do you, how, what does it mean now to listen hard? I love, uh, guys, your questions are so poignant and um, thoughtful. You know, immediately I had a reaction when you said the effort of listening because I feel like if you're really listening, it's like effortless. Mm. Do you know? Because you're fully because you're present. present. Yeah. Be, yeah, because you, there, there's nothing to do. You're not waiting for your turn to talk. You're not figuring a way to to, uh, you know, relate it to yourself and you're not trying to fix, you're just listening. So you could say it's listening easy, <laughs> right? Yes. Oh, wow. Epiphany here. Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. God, I love that. You could say that. Um, you know, I call it fierce listening. And I mean, yes, there's, there's this like great irony, but to me, it's also such a representative of what's possible the fact that I'm known as this amazing listener the best listener anyone's ever met and I'm deaf without my hearing aids I have to work so hard to hear you know um I I co-sleep with my son still because um one bedroom apartment and (laughs) I don't sleep with my hearing aids in and so in the morning in the morning and at night I never know what he's saying and um and it's frustrating. That's why that first question when you asked me, you know, letting go of basically the resistance toward your hearing loss, like I still get really frustrated. But I have to work really hard to listen. And so that the, and I've had to develop other ways, whole body ways, eyes, body, picking up um, nonverbal cues. So for me, it was a nod toward that. But I, I love what you're saying about easy listening. I do think that the conundrum is that to get to a place where you can li- be an easy listener, it's hard work for a lot of us. <laughs> One of the concepts, you know this in yoga, of course, just the definition alone of asana, sthira sukhamasana, is steady, easy posture. You know, no one gets into headstand without falling out a million, million times until it becomes steady and easy. 
And like you're saying, to get to this place of ease, you have to do all of this work ahead of time. And then suddenly it becomes available to us. That's funny. My son this morning asked me, he was laying in bed and he put his legs up in the air and he goes, mommy, can you do this? And And so I did it. Almost like a happy baby. And he goes, no, 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 no. Like with your head down. I said, what? What do you mean? My head is down. He goes, no, your head on the floor. <laughs> and I realized he's trying to say, and he said, teach me, please. He's, he's talking about a headstand. So funny. So I said, yes, later. Mommy needs coffee first. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I do a lot of this work in my workshops where I have people, People cringe at this, and then in the end, it's their favorite thing. But I have them look into someone else's eyes for a few minutes without speaking. And it's such a way to teach us how to just be, how to allow someone to see us and and to just do the work of reciprocating. Now we're going to take a quick break from our chat with Jen to give a shout out to our show partners. Shambhala Publications is the proud publisher of our book, Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, as well as The Art of Vinyasa, Awakening Body and Mind Through the Practice of Ashtanga Yoga by Richard Freeman and Mary Taylor. As a listener of our show, you get 30% off your purchase with code APARIGRAHA30 at Shambhala.com. That's A-P-A-R-I-G-R-A-H-A-30, all caps on APARIGRAHA. Support for Living It is also brought to you by Alchemy Forever, a clean and clinical skincare line developed by Switzerland's top dermatologist. The products are anti-aging, paraben-free, gluten-free, cruelty-free, and ideal for all skin types. Use the code SUTRA20, all caps on SUTRA, to get 20% off your Alchemy Forever products at alchemy-forever.com. And now, back to our conversation with Jen. So we're talking about the power of being heard and and being witnessed. Why is that so powerful? And isn't it just? I do think that most of us don't have that so much. Now, I've cultivated a life where I have that a lot. But it feels, it's, for example, I did a retreat last week in Italy. So weird. And then a couple of days later, I was in Philly, but, and also in Philly. And it's like life changing for a lot of people who walk around and never feel seen and heard. And they feel that. And it's like, oh, I feel so safe. I feel so gotten. That's why I got you is everything. It's very much like being a child. My son never doesn't feel that, you know? And then as we get older, that slips away. I think... I I mean, how about right now? We're all looking down at our phones all the time. You know, I can't speak to 30 years ago or 20 years ago, but right now we're, everyone's just very busy all the time. So busy on the go. Um, We're not looking at each other so much, you know, we're not connecting. We're so connected, quote unquote, and yet utterly disconnected. Well, speaking of social media, this kind of ties in with like what you, what you call our bullshit stories. And I think there's this, there's a really dangerous thing today and we might even try to like have hide our own bullshit stories by engaging the way we do in social media and not using it right. And something I've now that I've read your book and I follow you, I, I, I realize how bold, how not bold I am in what I let people see in my life, because I don't want to bore anybody with my trouble. Yeah. You know, I, it's not because I'm hiding anything, but it's like, Oh, is it real? Like, what's what's good for me to use this way? And like, what's not bullshit? And what's bullshit? And what's relevant? And what's not relevant? Well, I have a couple of thoughts on that. But the the first thing I, w- I wanted to say was that is another reason why people don't feel seen and heard is because we we start to um, center ourselves because we worry what other people will think. And and I was about to say that, and that's exactly what you said, right? Like, well, I don't want so and so to think this. So or. Um, you know, I, I deal with, I work with a lot of people who are in extreme grief, a lot of women who've lost children and people get so worried, like, well, I don't want to make you sad by telling you my story. And, um, the second thing though, about like, well, what's a bullshit story and what's relevant. We don't owe anyone anything. You don't have to share your life on social media. I choose to do that. And, um, in doing so I've created a career. So if you're, for example, if someone's social media is a particular business or whatever it is, and it doesn't 
suit them to be this like open book, then don't do it. It's not, you know, we don't all have to, you know, I pooped just now and it was great. (laughs) And, you know, no, no, I, I'm sharing this particular message of look how I live, everyone. I live in this one bedroom apartment and I'm disorganized and I'm really successful and yet and still look how I live. And I struggle with depression and also I lead these quote unquote inspirational workshops. And so, right, so I'm here to say, hey, you don't have to put yourself in a box and hey, you can create your own damn timeline like I did. And you can feel two things at once, right? Like you can have depression and lead inspirational workshops, right? That and instead of the or. Yes. So what are some of the bullshit stories you told yourself and, and how did you rewrite them? Well, I don't think we have time for all of them. But, um, <laughs> let me think. Um, oh, gosh. Oh, we have season three and season four, Jen. You know, we'll, we'll, right, we'll have you back. Right. <laughs> well, let me see. I'm, I'm, let me, do I want to be really honest? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think what are some bullshit stories that are coming up for me right now? Um, I'm never going to write again. Uh, I blew my wad. Um, so right now my retreats are like sold out for a year, which is amazing. And, you know, couldn't ask for more. Amazing. But of course, a bullshit story is, but when the buzz of my book dies, everything's going to die. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be homeless. Um, I'm never, I'm never going to be, um, be comfortable with money. You know, I grew up poor, poor ish. And so it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to always be struggling. Um, I could go on and on. Um, but the, right now, like in my body today, I woke up with those. Now, how do I eradicate those? One is... Um, so they're fear-based, right? You must be, Our bullshit stories must be fear-based. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. So then I say, okay, well, I'm not going to let fear be the boss of me. Let's go back to the two words I chose this morning before I got out of bed, before I looked at the phone, before the lights were on. They were tenderness and trust. So trust is a huge one. I pray for it. I ask for it. I look for it. Um, And trust overrides the fear. I, you know, eradicating bullshit stories or so identifying them and then I go, now what? And so I'll, I'll... one of the things I do, you know, for example, um, Saturday, I have to think because I've been going, I don't even know what time zone I'm in. Saturday, I was in New York and I was on stage giving this, leading this huge thing for Shape Magazine and it was a dream come true. And um, right before I was feeling so shitty because I was so run down, I couldn't even think, I couldn't remember my name. You know, it was just, and I got up there and I killed it. So one of the things is, I learn by teaching and I live by teaching and because I share so truthfully, I'm not trying to say, oh, look at my perfect life. So I think, okay, well, I'll keep speaking. I'll keep writing. I'll keep teaching. I'll keep showing up. And, uh, yeah, I, and sharing. I mean, that's really, yes, you're, you're, you're like yes. sharing your process and yes, making yes. it, making it yourself in a way sort of transparent so that others have the permission to, to do that for themselves. Yes. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I also, I'm really careful, and this has taken me a lifetime, to who I surround myself with. People who remind me who I really am. Meaning I don't surround myself with people who, when I walk out of the room, I feel really bad about myself. And I'm not talking about people that blow smoke up my ass. I'm just talking about my people. Yeah, and who, who see me. And who and who and who are a mirror for me? People like you both, right? I'm having this conversation. I'm inspired. My arm hairs are standing up. I wanna, I wanna hang up and like go take over the world. You know these kind of um, conversations and dialogues and people. How do you have you ever had to break up with somebody that that wasn't? Yes, and I'm that? and I'm and I'm not very good at it. And I, you know. My friend, Elizabeth Gilbert, is a genius at boundaries and amazing. And I and I told her that recently. And I was just like in awe because she she did something and, and it was just like it was very loving and it was very but it was a boundary. It was a clear boundary. And I've seen it also with her on stage 
And she said, you know, it's a lifetime of learning and, and of saying yes to a million things that I didn't want to say yes to. And I was like, teach me. So I, <laughs> yeah, so yes, I have, but I've not been as forthright. I'll do more of like the, you know, just stop responding. The fade um, away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is my goal is to be more honest um, with the kind of, you know, break it. Yes. I've, I've, if, I have no time for anyone that, that wants to gossip or, um, or is, you know, all they want to do is, is be self-deprecating or is, um, unkind or, you know, complains all the time. I just don't, I can't. Mm -hmm. Well, I've noticed as I've gotten older, I'm in my four, Kelly and I are in our early forties. You have to stop telling people that. Oh, sorry. That's right. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly and I are in our early 30s. and <laughs> Mentally. <laughs> Mentally. You know, and... Wait, we, are, you, are you in your early 30s? No, no we're in our no, early no, 40s. No, no. I'm being... Same, that's same. my bullshit story right there. <laughs> you see, that's not mine. Isn't that funny? I'm happy to say it. Yeah. And I have two kids. Kelly has a child. And, you know, I don't have time for everybody. And I wish I did. You know, I don't even have time for the people I love, unfortunately. But wait, do you wish you did? No. No, I wish I, no, not for everybody, I don't. Yeah. But I think I had to become not, you know, I had to not have time for everybody to Shame. actually, yeah. to learn to be like, I'm sorry. Shame. You know? Shame. Same. I had to learn it. Yeah. So that's something I'm still working on. I'm, I'm really good at communicating because I've been doing this, you know, teaching these workshops for so long. So I've become somewhat of a master communicator. But, um, breaking up, you know, and, and luckily I've been with my husband a very long time, so I haven't had any romantic breakups in a, in a long time, but breaking up is still something that's hard or quote unquote, letting someone down. Mm -hmm. I actually think breaking up with platonic non-romantic friendships are, it's a lot harder than romantic. Oh friends. yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it's not as tangible and it's, yeah, I And I it feels agree. like you're rejecting somebody more wholly than in this very specific way. Yes. So you mentioned earlier that you don't practice yoga as much. So what does your yoga practice look like these days? Because I also, I mean, this is something Amy and I talk about a lot, is that it it doesn't have to be just asana. In fact, as Rod Stryker said to us in season one, like you can – do asana and never practice yoga and you can practice yoga and never do asana. So what does your practice look like? You know, it's, um, I used to, you know, take class all the time when my teacher, which is so weird because she was in my dream yesterday, Annie Carpenter was living here. And, um, I actually, I was on the flight yesterday morning. I took a 7am flight from, from New York to Los Angeles. <laughs> And on the flight, I fell asleep and I dreamt that Annie was in the seat next to me, but we were flying back from like Switzerland or which I've never been. And I don't know, it was just so, and I gave her a copy of my book, but it had bubble gum stuck in it. It was so weird. But, um, but I, I just, I don't take yoga very often, but I notice when I do take class, I'm drawn to my, for example, my friend, Jen Smith. And it's like this very, it's not restorative, but it's almost, it's very like, um, slow and so nothing like a stronga. So nothing overly physical. And I'm very drawn to that. My practice now looks like I do it once in a while, the asana, it's getting quiet in the morning. It's, but it's really how I live my life with my, uh, asking how may I serve on a daily basis and the way I live my life with intention. It's become a lot more about that as I've gotten older than any of the poses or, you know, flexibility in my body or anything. Can I go back to something? I have a question. What are we not doing well when we communicate? What makes somebody really good at communicating? Like, what's the one thing we could take away? Listeners could take away. I could take away. You say, like, if you want to be a master communicator, you've got to understand how to do this. One yeah, one one thing, you know, and I and I certainly didn't invent this, but I try and focus on and I'm pretty careful with is is always making about how I feel. Aha, meaning saying if you're communicating, this this makes me feel rather than you make me crazy. <laughs> right. Like right, like like so my husband, I mean, that's like we're in this tiny apartment, there's a toddler and so things come up and and it, you know, instead of like, you drive me crazy when you do this and you da 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 and you uh 
coming back to like how I feel. And it, it, it's hard to argue with that. Like, you can't say, well, no, you don't feel that way. Um, compassionate listening and not holding things in. You know, so my husband has a tendency to hold things in and then they come out another way. So he'll communicate it by like getting mad at me for not washing the dishes or something. I mean, it's like our joke, but it's, it's what he does and it drives me crazy. Yes. I'm like, why can't you communicate? And then he'll say something to me like, and he's like, I'm communicating. See, you know, um, it's really not burying things. So they come out later in microaggressions, you know, but I, compassionate listening and making it about how you feel and tenderness really um that's a big word that's coming up for me a lot but trying to be as as tender as we can as kind as we can so not even when you're communicating something that's I think one of the hardest things for me is not being defensive if I'm in a, you know, that's what I have to really pay attention that I'm not defending my point or I'm not trying to, you know, to be able to communicate. I have to also listen deeply. Yes. I, I mean, that's it. That's compassionate listening. Right. And I, it's so hard to not be defensive. It's like the work of my life. There's another topic that you thread throughout your beautiful book, by the way, which I cried many times during. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Of, of beauty hunting. So beauty right. hunting, from what I understand, as you coined it, is finding ways to look at, to, to reach for the positive and to hold space around that, which is a very yogic concept. Is that, is that how you think of it? And how do you use, how does that incorporate into the work that you do? Well, it's, it's, um, it's interesting you bring that up because, so when I did this workshop on Tuesday with Liz in Philly, she started and then we did lunch and then I did my part in the afternoon, but she did this whole, um, part on enchantment, which I love that word. And that's, and, and then she said, as I was thinking it, she said, oh, Jen calls it beauty hunting. Um, for me, it's not as much looking for the, I guess you could call it the positive, you know, already my feelings on that. (laughs) It's, um. It's more of, uh, it's, it causes me to pay attention. So I felt like I spent most of my life being a walking dead person. Like really, just walking through. In fact, this morning I just posted a little meme I made that said, stop waiting. I spent my whole life waiting and just not looking around and noticing all the beauty around me. And... So it causes me to pay attention. And the idea is what's beautiful, not in your life, but right now. Go, oh, well, nothing. Well, no, look harder. Look right there and right there and right there. And we start to look and then you start to actively seek it out. I mean, what a way to live. We start to look for it in people who maybe we wouldn't look for it before or notice it. Um, You're rewiring your brain. Yes. And it's... um, also, it, it really helps me with depression and it helps, you know, people that are going through grief. It's like, okay, you can be, you can be in, in the midst of the worst grief of your life. Like a friend of mine, I gave her a scholarship to my retreat. She lost her two boys in a car accident at the same time. And it's like, she still can find what's beautiful, even feeling this grief. And so it comes back to that duality of, of, of things aren't just or. But yes, if you want to call it finding the positive, it's like looking around, look around, look around, look up, look around, find what's beautiful right now and right now and right now. I love now. this idea that you're saying it's not or, but it's and. And, and mm-hmm. we are dualistic all the time. I can be totally enjoying this conversation we're having right now and totally worried about how I'm going to pay my mortgage at the same time. Those two things can coexist. Right. I can have that worry and I can have this joy. And neither of those are necessarily only real or me, but they can coexist and they do coexist. Right. Exactly. They do. Absolutely. And it's okay. And the more we talk about it, you know, and it, it's why when years ago, yeah, I'm talking like 10 years ago, when I started on Facebook, it was, and, you know, talking really honestly about things, no, yoga teachers, like nobody was doing that. I was like, hey, I'm on antidepressants. And hey, you know, I drink coffee and wine and I barely do yoga and I curse a lot and I have immense grief and I almost died from anorexia and I'm deaf, you know, like What? And you're still a yoga teacher because back then it was like a yoga teacher has to be thought of as this love and light and, you know, perfect or bullshit. 
You write in the book when you when you're talking about that about how honest you were in in your writing when you were starting that letting go of the shame in who you were helped other people do the same. Why do you think that is? Is it is it permissive? Is it what, what? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I do. And it's you know, it's weird to think, you know, because I know it's not true when people say you gave me permission. Well, of course I didn't. But it makes you know, it makes us feel less alone and go, oh, well, if she, if she, well, gosh, if she talks about depression and and maybe I can too, you know. So it's it's an it's an illusion, I suppose. But um, you know, I, when I read Lydia Yurkovich's book, The Chronology of Water, before we were wifeys and partners <laughs> and everything, um, I I felt like her book gave me permission. And so it's it's how I responded to it. It's how someone responds to us, and then they they it allows them. It's why I always say dork it out because it's like you know. And Marianne Williamson talks about it. Like let your light shine, and you let other people shine their light, or however she says it. It's this idea of the more we are free and open, we inspire other people to do that and be that. So. It was terrifying at first. It's not so much for me anymore. But I remember I, w- I wanted to die each time I, I posted something and wrote something. But then people would come to me in droves and they would say thank you. And I would I began to realize, oh, everything I used to hide about myself that I was ashamed about is actually a thing that's drawing people to me. This is amazing. So how do we give ourselves permission to like, you know, instead of needing somebody else, for, you know, for you, it was Lydia. For so many of your workshop attendees and readers, it's it's you. How do you, how do we give ourselves that permission? Well, you know, the last chapter of my book is give yourself a fucking medal. And I mean, I, I stand by that. Um, it's, uh, I think the first thing and the hardest thing and maybe the only thing is letting go of what we fear others will think. I think that's the number one reason. It all boils down to, I'm afraid they'll think X, Y, or Z. So, you know, it's like, well, they're going to think it. Someone's going to think it somewhere. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and, and we begin to do, you know, ask now what and take one little baby step at a time. One little, one little actionable, manageable thing at a time. We, ha- yeah. we, have, um, we have a special question that we kind of like to ask everybody at the end. Um, that deals with the topic of the day. Um, the, su- the subtitle of our book, of Living the Sutras, is A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, which we've been talking about. And of course, not just the asana, but all this other stuff that we're doing beyond the mat. And w- in writing our book, that was one of our main aims, was to make you know this ancient wisdom accessible and personable and, and have, have us be able to do this little by little by little, in the same way you're saying it. So... This, I guess this is a double-sided. Usually I'll just say what practice off the mat helps you deal with aparigraha or non-reaching. But what you've talked about that a little. What is the practice? What practice are you avoiding reaching for? Or what thing have you are you trying not to kind of run after right now if there's something? And, and what are you doing to not run after that thing that you think you need? Right. That's... Wow. <laughs> My heart start beating, so I know it's a good, qu- like, uh, ooh. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to figure out how to word it. Um, okay, here we go. So I really, my book is a national bestseller. I really wanted it to become a New York Times bestseller. I was heartbroken. And I don't know why I put all this, you know, I think, one of the things is all these people for so long were like, your book is going to X, Y, and Z. And so it's hard to not have expectations. And who, no one really knows how the New York Times works, apparently, the list. But um, in my head, I equivated, okay, well, I'll make that list. Then I'll, you know, start to get paid a lot to do public speaking. And then I'll be able to move. I mean, it all comes back to this fear of, like, being homeless and that uh, I'm going to live in this tiny apartment forever. And so that didn't happen, and I felt like, oh well, now, now I'm now it's, all my fears are going to come true. I'm going to, you know, be poor, and um, 
so it's like, is it is it chasing after recognition? I'm not sure what, that's why I'm trying to figure out the word for it, or um, accolades. But, oh, here we go. Someone else to give me the medal. Hmm. There we go. There we go. Mic validation. Um, yeah, validation. So, and I mentioned this earlier, but the way, the absolute way that I every day practice my yoga off the mat is asking how may I serve? How may I be of service? Show me how may I be of service? Who needs me? Oh, that's beautiful. And it continually gets me out of my own head, my own way, my own bullshit, my own fear. That's beautiful. If you're focusing on somebody else, then you get out of your own way. Exactly. That's beautiful. That is, I mean, that's beautiful. Jen, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has been really wonderful and we really appreciate you coming on the on the show oh it was just i loved it i could talk to you forever i am so thrilled and you asked beautiful questions and I'm we're just on the same and we'll have to do it again absolutely we will thank you thank you for listening to living it for those of you who want to find out about Jen and where she's teaching, visit jenniferpasteloff.com. You can find links to this, as well as more information about the resources we discussed in this episode in the show notes or at our website, livingitpodcast.com. For those of you interested in deepening your practice while also enjoying a little sunshine and sea, Amy is leading her annual retreat in Mexico, December 1st through the 8th. Visit tantramadison.com for more information. For those of you who can't escape to the beach, I'm leading an online course on the sutras this fall. Send me an email at kelly at livingitpodcast.com to learn more. And remember, listeners get 30% off The Art of Vinyasa and Living the Sutras at shambhala.com with the code aparigraha30 and 20% off Alchemy Forever with the code sutra20. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited to keep doing this. Please share the podcast with your friends. Message us on Instagram at Kelly DiNardo and at Amy Pierce Hayden. Email us through our website, livingitpodcast.com. Subscribe in iTunes. Write a review. We really love doing this, so please help us continue to keep the podcast going. Thanks for listening.